This sermon is brought to you by Christ Church South Philadelphia, a church that is committed to living out the gospel in their neighborhood and from there impacting the world. For more information about our church or to support our mission, you can go to www.ChristChurchSouthPhilly.org. All right, with that being said, please turn to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25 is the first book in the Bible, uh, first book in the New Testament, excuse me. First book of the New Testament, one of the four divinely inspired biographies about Jesus. Written by a man named Matthew, who is one of his disciples. We're going to Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13 today. And I don't know, know about you, uh, but I don't like waiting. I don't like waiting. Before I met my wife, Angie, um, I used to make scrambled eggs in a microwave. Because I don't like waiting. Like, who wants to put it in a pan and, like, do all that work? Right? I just want 30 seconds, and here we go. Now, she, she, she quickly found that out and became very disgusted with me. And I was like, okay, it's either going to be the girl or microwave scrambled eggs. So I did away with, with the microwave scrambled eggs, okay? I made the right decision. Uh, I now make them in a pan, and I, I know how to do that. But I still don't like waiting. I'd rather drive 30 minutes out of my way than sit in traffic for 10. Um, I get offended when Amazon doesn't offer next day delivery for the item I want. I'm like, what is this world coming to? How can they even, you know, be some kind of company self-respect? You gotta be kidding me. Like I get all I got a whole attitude about it. I hate waiting. I hate waiting. I say it to say this. This morning we're gonna be finishing our series that we've been in on the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the most frequent thing that Jesus taught about, and so we really can't understand him. We don't understand what he meant about the kingdom of God. We've seen how God's kingdom is this large meta-narrative throughout the whole Bible where it's really about God's people living in God's presence under God's rule. And God's kingdom has come in Jesus. He's the king of the kingdom. That's why after he comes, the rest of the New Testament doesn't use the word kingdom too much. It talks a lot about the gospel. Not because it's talking about two different things, but because now if the king has come, there is now gospel. There is now good news to tell. And the good news is that anyone can enter God's kingdom through faith in Jesus. God's kingdom is not a geopolitical entity or some specific location is a spiritual relationship we have when we place our faith in the king of the kingdom, the one who died on the cross for our sins, the one who came to forgive us and restore us and make us new. When we place our faith in Jesus, then through that union we have with him by faith, we become God's people, living in God's presence, under God's rule. And so in Jesus, God's kingdom has come. And yet, at the same time, it's also something that is still coming. See, God's kingdom is something that has come. It's something we can enter into spiritually now. But it's also something that's still coming because there's a second coming of Christ when Jesus is going to break down the walls between the spiritual and the physical. And what we now believe by faith, we'll see by sight. We can know Jesus now. But praise the Lord, one day we're going to see him. And what a day that will be. But for now, we wait. For now, we wait. This morning, we're going to hear what Jesus says about what we are to do, or rather, how we are to be 
as we wait for his kingdom that's here already but is still not yet fully come. What are we to do in this waiting period? We've started this series by talking about kingdom proclamation. We've talked about kingdom passion, kingdom purpose, kingdom power. Today we're going to talk about kingdom preparedness. Kingdom preparedness. We're going to see what Jesus has to say in Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 to 13. Let's turn our attention to God's word. Jesus says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast. And the door was shut. Afterward, the virgins came also saying, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. May God bless the reading and now the preaching of his word. All glory be to Christ. In order to understand what Jesus is talking about here, we need to understand something about how marriages worked in ancient Israel. It's a little different than our typical romantic comedy where we see, you know, two people meet each other, fall in love, have some kind of weird problem, you think they're not going to make it. This is going to be the first romantic comedy where they actually split up and then, oh no, they get back together. Who saw that coming? Uh, in the ancient times, there, there, there was really three stages to a marriage. First, the marriage would be arranged between families. And so a man would come to the girl's family and ask to marry her and offer a dowry, offer a bride price. There would be an arrangement that, that would be made. The idea was that the daughter was so precious to her family that if any man wanted to come marry her, he had to prove that he could provide for her and that he really valued her. He literally had to put his money where his mouth is. Let me tell you, as a father or daughter, actually, I don't think it's too bad an idea. I'm not going to require a bride price for my daughter, but you better believe some joker comes sniffing around, he better understand that he's dealing with something of tremendous value. If he doesn't understand that, well, in my travels, I've made some friends in low places, and so why would not dirty my hands? I know some people, I wouldn't mind calling in some favors. So the families, they'd arrange this marriage, and the bride price would then be paid up front. And then the guy would go, they wouldn't get married right away, he'd go and he'd build a home for him and his future wife. This would be the year, generally take about a year, a year of betrothal, a year of engagement. And this engagement, again, is a little different than how we think about engagement. For us, engagement is a clear commitment to get married, but, you know, if you don't get married, if you don't go through with it, there's no legal obligations, you just break up and, you know, it's sad, but like, 
no other entanglements other than that. But in that culture, engagement was seen as a binding agreement. It's actually at that point when they entered into a covenant with one another, an unbreakable promise. And so really to break an engagement, again, in that culture would be the same as divorce. You might remember how when Joseph was betrothed to, when Mary was betrothed to Joseph, and Joseph became aware that she was pregnant, he was like, that child ain't mine, thought that she had been unfaithful to him, and he said what? He was going to then divorce her. They weren't married yet. They were only betrothed, but betrothal, breaking that was considered a divorce. And so this, this husband would go, and he, he'd go and build a home. He'd get everything ready, and then he'd come. He'd come to get his wife. And when he did, it would be this big ceremony where he'd stop by various people's homes of the wedding party and he'd gather them up and it would be like this growing like conga line where they'd like go from like house to house and they'd bring everyone to the wedding ceremony and it would usually take place at night because the wedding would end up being this, this one big party that would last long into the next day, if not even the day after that. The Old Testament, the books that were written before Jesus came, they regularly speak of God coming for his people as a groom crumbs for his bride. And so the prophet Isaiah said this in Isaiah chapter 62, verse 5. As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Hosea chapter 2, verse 19. And I'll betroth you to me forever. I'll betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice and steadfast love and in mercy. So there was this idea that there was this time where God would start relating to his people that way. But both those prophecies, they use these, so your God shall and so I will. Like there's, it's future looking words. The day come when God would start acting to his people in such a way. And then Jesus shows up and he's like, those guys the prophets talked about, he was asked, why don't your disciples fast? And he's like, because you don't fast when you're at a party. My disciples right now are at a party. They're feasting. Because the bridegroom is here. These guys that the prophets were talking about, allow me to introduce myself. My name is Jesus. Jesus is our bridegroom. He knows us specifically, particularly. If you place your faith in Christ, that's because he first chose to set his affections on you. He knows you. And he chose to love you. And he has paid a bride price for you. He gave nothing less than his precious blood poured out on the cross for our sins. And he has made an unbreakable covenant with us and bound us to himself. And he will never divorce us. And when Jesus went back to heaven, he said he went to there to go do what? To go prepare a place for us. A place where we can go and dwell with our bridegroom forever in perpetual love unending. And one day he will return and we will do what? We will feast with Jesus at the marriage supper of the Lamb the book of Revelation talks about. And oh, what a day that will be. But that day is not this day. It's a day that we are still waiting for. 
And in this story that Jesus is using to talk about this waiting of his future coming, Jesus pictures us not as a bride in this story, but as the bridesmaids. He talks about these ten virgins. You see, the bridal party we made up of women who had never been married before. That was one of the stipulations. And they would be there to support the bride, to help her to get ready for her husband. And here in the story, we see Jesus says they'd all been given lamps. They all had the privileged position of helping light the way for the groom as he went to go get his bride. But out of the ten of them, only five had brought enough oil to keep their lamps lit. See, these lamps weren't like lamps you could plug into a wall and like turn them on, right? Like they didn't have electricity back then. They, they, they were torches that really had to be dipped in oil and you need to keep applying oil in order to keep the flame on. So the bridegroom did not come when he was originally expected. His return was delayed. And so five were prepared for however long the groom took. Well, the other five weren't ready when he didn't come on their timetable. They weren't prepared, and so they couldn't join in. This story is really about one simple idea. God's kingdom is coming. It has come in Jesus, but yet it is still at the same time coming. Are you prepared? Are you prepared? We don't know when Jesus is coming. Verse 13 says it very clearly. You know neither the day nor the hour. You know, you get these people sometimes with their predictions. They make like these graphs and charts. And I'm just like sometimes, um, excuse me, professor. Um, you're, you're going to the Revelation and you got all these drafts. And then, oh man, this happened in Israel. So that means this and that and that. Um, you know, not a day nor an hour. Like, what makes you think that that doesn't apply to you? And actually earlier in Matthew 24, Jesus says, he doesn't know the day or hour. And so I'm like, you know, I'm sure God loves you so, so, so much. But I don't think he loves you so much that he's going to tell you something that doesn't tell Jesus. Right? Like, oh, I'm just going to pull this person. Like, yeah, you need to go make this chart. And you go talk to these people about this because, you know, me and you, we have the secret inside. It's like, no, this, you know, it's going to work out. I don't think it's going to work out that way. Um, so if you're watching people on YouTube with charts and graphs, like, go join a gym and do something better with your time. Uh, they have no idea what they're talking about. Um, the kingdom's coming, but we don't know when. We don't know when. That's Jesus' whole point here. God doesn't operate on our timetable. So what are we supposed to do? Stay prepared. Don't be one of those who is found not ready. What does it mean to be prepared? Well, I think there are three things that we see it means to be prepared. Three things that we're to be as we wait. First, we are to be sure. We are to be sure. If the king was to come today, are you sure that you'd be going into his kingdom? Are you sure? Notice that when the groom came, the five bridesmaids who had no oil asked the other bridesmaids who were with them if they could share the oil with them. But the other bridesmaids couldn't. Not because they were being selfish, but because then they wouldn't have enough for themselves. And so what Jesus is saying here is that each person's relationship with God is their own responsibility. You can't have oil from someone else. You need to have your own. Your relationship with God is your relationship with God, and it can't be fueled by anyone else. You need to be sure for yourself. 
Kids, listen to me. Grow up in church. Parents love you. They're doing devotions with you. Hope you're learning a lot about God. That's great. You need to be sure for yourself. You need to have your own relationship with God. Your parents' relationship is not going to do anything for you. You need to know for yourself. Let me talk to some adults here. Maybe you like coming out to church. Maybe you like to listen to things online because, you know, being around spiritual people is positive and encouraging. Like, I hope so. I hope the church is known as a positive and encouraging place. Absolutely. Uh, but let me be clear about this. Our oil can't ultimately do you any good. You need to be sure for yourself. So are you? Are you sure today that if today was your last day, you'd be going with God? There's a day coming when this opportunity to ask ourselves this question will no longer be available. The five bridesmaids who didn't have enough oil, which was their own choice to not bring it, when the bridegroom came, they were allowed to experience the consequence of their own choice. Push off God long enough, and one day he'll let you do that forever. Keep deferring a decision about him, he'll let you do that eventually for all eternity, and you'll never know him. Hell is separation from the presence of God. Hell is God finally saying, okay, you don't want me? You can be like that forever. And part of why Jesus is sharing this story is that no one would ever make that choice. In his heart of love, God wants none to be shut out, but all to be welcomed in. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says, If anyone confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We can be saved from being shut out of God's presence and welcomed into his love through faith in Jesus. And so the point of this part is don't delay. Don't delay. Stop deferring your decision. The groom is delayed. God is not here yet, but he's coming. And so don't put off for tomorrow the opportunity God is giving you today. Well, I have some questions. I hope you have questions. I'd love to try to answer your questions as best I can. But let me tell you this. You're going to have questions for the rest of your life. I'm getting a, my doctoral degree right now. You know what I'm learning? There's a lot of questions I didn't even know I was supposed to be asking. I've got more questions since starting seminary than less. I'm like, what's this about? I'm supposed to be learning things. I'm just getting like, but that's just like, why? Because God's an infinite God. We'll never fully understand him. But just because we can't understand him fully doesn't mean we can't know him truly. I've been with my wife now for 16 glorious years. At least have been glorious for me. Hopefully she's got about 12 good ones for me. Um, but uh, there's lots I know about her. There's also lots I don't know about her. Right? Lots I don't know about her. But just because I don't know everything about her, just because I still have questions... That invites me into a relationship to want to know those questions and pursue that. doesn't mean that I don't truly know that who she is. It doesn't mean I can't have a relationship with her. And so my question to you is, do you have enough information? You might not have all your questions answered, but do you have enough information to know that Jesus Christ is Lord? And if the answer is yes, don't put off bending your knee to him. Today is a day of salvation for you. Today is a day where you can be sure Right now, in your seat, you can say, Jesus, I confess that you are my Lord. 
And you can be sure today that he is. That because of that, you'll be welcomed in by his love to his kingdom. I want to talk about another category, though, of surety. And this isn't for the person who has yet to put their faith in Jesus. This is for the person who has. But you can still feel unsettled sometimes. You can still feel unsure because you know there is hidden sin in your life. These bridesmaids all look the same. They all actually even did the same thing. Did you notice that when the groom came, they all rose and trimmed their lamps? This means they took off the charred part and like had fresh wick. They all looked the same and they all acted the same. But they weren't the same. And maybe you're here. And you know you look the part and you know you act the part. But you know you're not the same part. Because there's a part of your life that you've actually never given over to Jesus Christ. And you've just had this subtle doubt. God, no one else knows, but you know. And so what does that mean between me and you? I think God's giving you an opportunity too today to be sure. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess, with our, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all our unrighteousness. If we confess. Listen, if you're living in hidden sin, then brother and sister, I want to be straight with you. I have nothing but warning for you. James chapter 2 is very clear that faith without works is dead. Meaning that you can say you have all kinds of faith, but you aren't actually living out that faith. Talk is cheap. Faith needs to change how we live. Not by making us perfect people, but by making us confessing people. Being a Christian is never about not sinning. No, it's about confessing our sin when we do. It's about acting on the faith that, yes, I sin, but I have a Savior, and he's told me that if I confess my sins, he's going to cleanse me from it. And so when we are not confessing, we're not living with faith in Jesus. But we're doubting that, oh, maybe this time I've done something too much that the cross can't save me from. Friends, if we confess he is faithful and just to forgive us for our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And I know sometimes you play games like, well, I've confessed to God, I'm good. Do you feel good? Keeping it just between you and God? How's that feel? James chapter 5, verse 16 tells us to confess our sins one to another. So when John's talking about confession, let's have that. That's not just a you and God thing. In the biblical testimony, confession is always a to another person thing. Why? Not because someone else can forgive our sins. They can't. Only God can do that. But confession means bringing our sin out into the light. And so if, if you are still just keeping it all inside of you and you're the only person who knows about it, you have not confessed a thing. Yes, pray to God. Sure, absolutely. You should 100% do that. But our relationship with God always needs relationship with other people. When we confess our sins to one another, we're putting our faith into action and saying, I believe Jesus can forgive me of this. And we're giving our Christian brother or sister the opportunity to preach the gospel to us and to remind us that there's no sin we can commit that Christ hasn't already died for on the cross. And so I'll be very clear. I've been pastor long enough at this point. I don't care how long you've been coming. I don't care how long you've been saying you're a Christian. I don't care what position you have in the church. If you have unconfessed sin in your life, 
friend, don't let another day go by. Hear me. Hear me pleading with you. Hear this text pleading with you, more importantly. Don't let it go by. Be sure today. Bring it out into the light. Grab a Christian brother or sister. Talk to a pastor. And maybe it makes a mess. Maybe it makes your life get really complicated. Listen, there's grace for complication. There's grace for mess. God can, God can work through all kinds of stuff. The only stuff that God's not going to work through is the stuff that you're holding in by yourself. So come out. Make a mess. And let God get to work. We need to be sure. Number two, we need to be faithful. Notice these bridesmaids, they all had their little lamps, right? But only five actually had oil. The other foolish ones didn't have any oil, not because they didn't have the money to buy some. Did you notice that? No, no. all of a sudden they realized like, oh, he's coming. They, they're going to go to the market to go buy some. So they had the resources to do what they should have done in the first place, which was get the dang oil so that you could stay lit. But they decided to not use their resources to stay prepared, but instead, eh, just keep some of it for themselves. They weren't being faithful. They weren't being faithful to stay prepared for the purpose they'd been given. We're not sure why they kept it to themselves. Maybe they just wanted to buy some other things. I don't know. Jesus doesn't tell us. But he does show us that they allowed other things to be more precious to them than their responsibility to be prepared to shine the light they'd been given. And so they weren't ready when the groom came. They tried to get ready. But listen, you don't have to get ready if you already are ready. And that's Jesus' point. Jesus' point isn't get ready. His point is stay ready. If you're living faithfully, then you don't have to scramble when the final day comes. Listen, God, God's given us all resources. The parable that comes right after this one is the parable of the talents. You might remember that story. Jesus talks about how he gives different people different things and what they're supposed to do with it. They're supposed to multiply what God has given them for kingdom purposes. There's a reason these things are coming one after the other. Listen, if you are a child of God, you're a talented person. You might not feel that way. You might not have the talents of someone else, but you have abilities that God's given you, opportunities that God's put in front of you, and he's done that not so that you could just use them for you, but so that you can use what he has given you to spread the message of his love. Whether you are a teacher or an accountant or a social worker or a school bus driver, a doctor, a trash truck driver or picker-upper, if you're a stay-at-home parent or if you're a student, whether you work full-time, part-time, or no time, you're retired and on disability, listen, God has given you abilities to be part of his purposes of spreading the good news of his kingdom. But as he has delayed, since he has not yet come... It's very easy for us to begin to use some of these things God's given us in our time, our talents, and our treasures, and just use it for ourselves. Instead of serving, instead of sacrificing, instead of letting God's priorities inform our priorities, we have some God in our lives. These, these, these bridesmaids, they, they had their lamps. 
we have a little God in our lives. We come to church when it's convenient, but last thing I would ever do is reorient my schedule around that. It's God on the side, not God at the center. But friends, as sure as Jesus rose from the grave and ascended to his throne in heaven, he returned in the same manner that he went. Acts chapter 1, verse 11. He's coming back. So don't hoard what he has given you, but spend yourself for him. History is not a cycle. It's a story. And there will be a final chapter. What if it's today? The church reformer, Martin Luther, said there are two days on my calendar. This day and that day. And what I'm doing on this day, I want to matter on that day. As it's, you know, kind of become a little bit of a cliche, but it's true. There are no U-Hauls following any hearse. You came into this world with nothing, you're going to leave with nothing. I don't care how much you achieve in this life, you're leaving with nothing. And if the world doesn't end for another hundred years after you lived, let me give you this encouraging thought, no one's going to remember you. You're leaving with nothing. But you can have an everlasting and eternal impact. You can't take anything with you that you achieve here, but you can do things that have eternal value that will last forever and where you're really going. You can live for the kingdom purpose of influencing the spaces and places and people that God has sent you because he wants to use you to show them the glory of him. And so is what you're about today something that will be of value on that day? Now, I want to be careful here. This, this doesn't mean that we can never rest. Every moment, we need to be doing something significant. I remember I had someone over my house one time to, to watch an Eagles game, and, um, you know, someone knew. I was trying to get to know him or a friend. I'm like, oh, let's go watch an Eagles game together. It'll be fun. They came over, and, like, I don't know, basically, some of my pastor, like, well, aren't we going to pray together? I'm like, I can't watch the game with my eyes closed. Like, what are you talking about, man? Like, no, it's not. I love to pray. That's not this time, right? That's not, that's not what we're doing here. Notice Jesus says in, 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 verse, in verse 5 that all ten's bridesmaids, what did they do? They, they all slept, the wise ones and the foolish ones, right? You, you know what he's saying that? We all need rest and rejuvenation. We can't, this is not a call, this hyper moment, like, okay, God, make every second count. You know, God, just keep chugging the Red Bulls, can't go sleep for a second, must be sharing about Jesus at all times and all places. This is meant to make us like a bunch of weirdos, Okay? I don't feel guilty at all about watching the Eagles. I don't feel guilty about enjoying playing games. I don't feel guilty about my love for books. I don't feel guilty when I take naps. I need rest, and you do too. And I find those things restful. But if all I did was watch the Eagles, my whole, game, my whole life was about playing games, or reading books, or taking naps. That, that, that's, if I lived for the weekend, and getting my time, well, yeah, then you probably should start questioning some of my life choices. I have a friend who right now is killing himself, working some crazy hours so he can retire young and go see the world. I'm like, bro, I just going to be straight with you. I don't think having a bunch of stamps in your passport is going to matter a lot on that final day. 
I'm not saying you shouldn't travel here or there. Sure, enjoy some things. But if that's all you're going to do, like, I don't know how you can make any impact without having roots. You're going to see the world. That will be fun for you, but who's that? Is that going to actually make a difference or impact on? You want to see some places? How about this? Hold out for the new heavens and the new earth. Like, like I've come to grips that there's a lot of places in the world I love to travel, but there's a lot of places in the world I'm never going to see. You know, I still got a few bucket list things. I hope to get to there someday. But, but if I don't, like, I'm not that worried about it. Because as much as I love mountains, as much as I love seeing other cultures, you know what? I got a whole, a whole eternity to explore a world that without sin. And so guess what? If you don't get to all those places you hope to get to, just make sure you get to heaven. Because you're going to have eternity to do a lot more than you can ever do here. And so it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So many people, it's like, man, they have these big dreams. And I'm like, these dreams are honestly so small. Live for something bigger. Live for, you only have an opportunity now for maybe 80, 90 years, if you're hopeful, to make an impact on other people. Live for that now. You get the rest of eternity to do some sightseeing. Again, I'm not saying that we shouldn't, shouldn't have, have rest. This isn't saying we should be hypervigilant, never do things to replenish ourselves. No, they all slept. We need to replenish ourselves. But we replenish ourselves so we can spend ourselves. The words of Dr. Eric Mason, another pastor here in the, church, in, in the Philadelphia, he's like, you don't need rest from rest. If you're not doing anything from the kingdom, then you haven't earned your rest yet. You need rest from kingdom work. And so if you're doing kingdom work, then yeah, enjoy a nap. You deserve it, right? Like, like we need rest. We need replenishment. Jesus slept. Read the Gospels and see how often Jesus is sleeping. Why? Because he was working. Are we working? Are we resting? Are we living faithfully? Faithful life is a life that's given both to kingdom work and then kingdom rest. If we never rest, then we aren't trusting God. That's kind of my struggle, just to be honest with you. My team is like, you're talking about rest, Jeff, really? I'm not preaching a whole sermon on it. I know I'm not there yet. Um, it's hard for me to rest, right? I had a friend had to basically force my arm to go away this past week with my wife. And, like, that should be the easiest thing in the world. But, like, it's very hard for me to leave the work. I love what God's called me to do. But I know I need to rest or else I'll die. Um, and so maybe you need, you need that encouragement to rest. But maybe it's like, I don't know, my whole life is kind of restful. I'm always like, you know, doing my thing and got my friends and my party, you know, whatever. Like I'm, maybe you think about doing some work. Maybe, maybe there's a purpose that God has for you that he wants you to walk in to reach other people, you know? So think about this for yourselves, but this is a faithful life. This is what Christ has shown us here. A faithful life is where we rest to work. We rest to work. Like maybe you just start learning how to get to bed at a good time. This isn't saying stay up super late. No, it's just saying, go, go to sleep at 10 so you can wake up the next morning and read your Bible and pray and fight your sin. It's a lot harder to fight sin when you're tired. Go to sleep so you can wake up the next day and fight your sin and pray and share the gospel with someone and go to your work and do a great job so that good work might be an opportunity to share the good news of Jesus. Get some sleep so you can be some use. It's the faithful lifestyle that God 
It's calls to. There's a day coming when the groom will return. And when he does, will he find us prepared by living faithfully for his purposes? Final point, this is the shortest one, but certainly, I think in some respects, the most important. We need to be sure, we need to be faithful, and finally, three, we need to be hopeful. We need to be hopeful. The five foolish bridesmaids didn't have enough oil because at some point they gave into their doubts that the groom would never return. Again, it didn't look like that from the outside. They, they still had their little lamps. But their lamps were empty. Because they didn't have much hope that he would come. They, they like, okay, like at any point they could have left and gone, gotten some oil to make sure they could stay lit. But they had just gotten used to being empty. And so friends, listen, I don't know everything you have going on in your life right now. But I do know the hope you can have if Jesus is your king. If your hope is in election outcomes, welcome to a life of discouragement. If your hope is in finances, welcome to a life of being a miser. If your hope is in your health, welcome to a life of consistent fear. If your hope is in another person, Welcome to a life of insecurity. Listen, if we place our hope in anything or anyone in this world, our hope will be as fragile then as the things of this world. And it will always be at risk of being taken from us. But here's a hope that is sure. Here's a hope that's unshakable. Here's a hope that can shine no matter how dark life gets. You've got a king coming for you. You've got a king coming for you. And when he does, he's going to take all that is wrong and make it right. Don't let his delay lead you to doubt. He's coming back. There is hope. It's kind of like Robin Hood. I loved Robin Hood growing up. I watched, I think, every Robin Hood movie that there ever was, except Men in Tights. I wasn't allowed to watch that one growing up. But, um... If you know the story of Robin Hood, right, there's the evil Prince John who's left in charge of England, and he's got his henchmen, the chief being the sheriff of Nottingham, and they're oppressing the poor, right? But Robin Hood doesn't join in like the rest of the nobles. No, he stands against their tyranny and their evil, and he operates with a different set of values than the kingdom of evil Prince John. He operates with the values of the true king, his true king, King Richard. And so even though Robin has to flee the woods, and even though he's constantly hunted, and even though he's the, denied the opportunity to be with his one true love, May Marion, like, he never gives up because of the hope that King Richard's coming back. And when King Richard comes back, all will be made right. Listen, friends, we have a king who's coming back. He is on his way, and when he returns, he's going to make all things new. He's going to set all wrongs to right. Every pain that we go through is going to be turned into praise. Every regret we've experienced is going to be turned into redemption. Every loss we've suffered is going to be turned into gain. Every evil that's occurred is going to be turned into good. For our king is the one who came, and when he came the first time, he was able to turn water into wine. He was able to turn a person into a singer. He was able to turn a lame person into a dancer. He's the one who took a cross and turned it into a resurrection. 
resurrection, so that for any who believed in him, death might be turned into life. This is the king who's returning. And so, yes, we might suffer now, but don't let your hurt take away your hope. Our king is coming back. And when he comes back, we're going to a wedding feast. The joy that our souls will made to experience, we're going to experience with him forever. So stay hopeful. This is how we live a prepared life. We, are, we live being people who are sure that we're going with him when he returns. Be sure that you're going with him when he returns. Be faithful to live for him now until he returns. And be hopeful in the coming of him. For he surely is going to return. The final words of the Bible in Revelation chapter 22 verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come. Lord Jesus. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer.